Underdog Sports, but we came here to win. The most legit podcast, that's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news, we underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process, yes you, because we got Chris and Andrew to bless you. With the best features, best stories, we diving deep like a Lambo leap. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring, we on point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the talk path. In the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. Chris Forwardell joined by Anshu Khan. Anshu? Chris. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so good. How's it going with you? Uh, you know, it's all right. It, thing, things mm. are all right here. Uh, I feel like we've hit a little uh, a little week five, week six doldrum in the NFL. I think <laughs> things are slowing down. It's weird how quickly as human beings we adjust to things and... I get this speaks to you know what we've dealt with since March too, I suppose. But like, hey, football's back, and I'm like, all right, uh, maybe it's because my Eagles suck. But I'm just you know, my enthusiasm is waning a little bit. Yeah, it's funny because like you know you take it for granted, you take it for granted. I mean, you're you're so excited about it, then you, it comes and you're like, ah, this sucks. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Some of this is not as fun as I. I remember it being, but, you know, I think the Eagles have looked better over the last few weeks in, in different ways, obviously. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, you're right. It's funny. It's doldrums, but it's also, I don't know if you get this feeling, but just it, it the way that the NFL's handing, handling the COVID stuff is, it's just, everyone is kind of, I feel like on edge about like how this is going to end. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to end well. Yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to get all the games played. Uh, at least at least a large majority of the games played. There might just be scheduling issues later in the season where games can't be made up. But yeah, it's it's an issue. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in the National Football League, to be honest with you, that they aren't living up to some of the threats that they made. You know, they were they were threatening larger fines, even losses of draft picks prior to. Uh, not even this weekend, the previous weekend's games, we still had some teams that weren't in compliance of stuff. And basically they just kind of reworded their threat to, uh, you know, to make it a little bit stronger, but without actually punishing anybody for still violating some protocols. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, if, if anyone deserves a punishment, it's the way the Titans have handled their business. And I mean, on one hand, you want to, you know, compliment them on the fact that they care so much that they were willing to go off site to work out and, as a team. Yeah. But at the same time, like there just has to be ramifications to having what should have been really like two weeks worth of positive tests. But the NFL is just so dead set on getting this game in and avoiding the possibility of a week 18 at all costs. You know, they're they're doing everything in their power to not, you know, have that happen. I, but, I mean, that being said, to your point, like, I just, I don't know how they don't get punished. Maybe the idea is, you know, at least you guys got the second game, and if it happens again, you're really, like, you're really screwed. Yeah, Pro Football Talk was suggesting that the NFL could levy punishments that would make the, uh, the Patriots stuff look like a parking ticket. And I'm just waiting for that <laughs> to happen, whether it's, you know, the loss of draft picks, which quite frankly would be warranted in this situation. And I would send a message as strongly as humanly possible right now that this is not okay. I think a couple weeks ago, I, after all the Titan stuff, I said I would punish them with a fourth round pick. I'm not sure it's not a second round pick right now, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I, you could talk me into a first, but, you know, they're also talking about the loss of forfeiting games and stuff like that. 
Punishment needs to come down hard and swift so that this does not continue. That's the key, is the last part. What is it going to do? Like, how do you get the players to, you know, be as safe as possible? And, you know, we can only control so much. I mean, if I were to get it tomorrow, you know, there are things I'm sure I could have done to avoid it. But, like, mm. you know, it, like, if as a team, you know, or if I worked at a company where I had to go in all the time and I had people at risk, then I think that I would have to assume that risk. And, and you know, from a player perspective, and again, I keep, keep going back to this point, but like at the end of the season, what is keeping, you know, Sam Darnold from going and living his life as like a single man in New York for a mm-hmm. franchise that he may or may not play with next year when you're, you know, one in 12 or whatever the case may be. Like, I mean, it's, I think that like even taking draft picks from a team like the Jets is not going to be punitive enough to keep the people, the players from living their lives and, and like having, you know, setting the, the rules in place for them to avoid this behavior to your point. Like, and I, I just think that that's, that's the real big elephant in the room to me. And I, I mean, I think pro football talk also brought up the idea that, you know, do teams, it sounds like the NFL is avoiding week 18 at all costs just today, because like, today they opened have, up that possibility. The NFL did. Yeah. They, they said they're not going to rule out the possibility of playing makeup games in week 18 as of uh, about 90 minutes ago. Well, so, I mean, I think that that's, that's just so obvious that they'll have to do that, but like, I think that they're avoiding it as much as they possibly can because they don't want teams to do what I just described from like the Jets perspective. And yeah. that's, you don't want to give them that fallback option because then it's like, well, we, we had that in our back pocket the whole time. So we, we basically had this one COVID <laughs> week to to play with, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other problem is, again, we talked about this last few weeks, but like once we get through the bye season, I mean, there really aren't any, you know, like there aren't a lot of outs, even with one, you know, week 18. I mean, what if something happens week 16? What if, what if a second test comes down for the Patriots or Titans? I mean, there are so many manifestations of this where week 18 is just the beginning of a slippery slope. And I, I think that the NFL, in retrospect, is pretty smart to try to avoid that until the last second. Well, you bring up some interesting points here. Let's talk about the Darnold case, specific, the hypothetical Darnold case specifically. And I think what has to happen there is that, look, you're right. Even if everyone follows every protocol to the T, there's still a risk of getting infected at the team facility. And that's just something we're going to have to live with. However, mm-hmm. if in this case, you know, Sam Darnold wants to go out to a nightclub in, in New York City and isn't following proper protocols or anything like that, if we can trace that back, then OK, you just you're getting fine game checks. That's it. Yes. Agreed. I, I mean, and I think that that is the punitive you know, issue the penalty that we need to have to avoid the behavior to, to, you know, it's just like laws, you know, you, you have to create a certain level of punishment and to, you know, change behavior. And I think that that's, that's what the NFL is up against here throughout the rest of this year. And I, I mean, I, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic like you because that the NFL does seem to be taking it seriously. And I think that it's a, almost a good thing that these tests have come back positive early enough in the year and obviously without symptoms enough mm. that, you know, that that there's still, you know, really no harm done yet to the logistics and the health of the, the season. By the way, tell that, think, tell that to the Denver Broncos. <laughs> yeah, true. Or, the, <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, the Steelers too. I mean, just I know that they win last week, but like you know, no buys. I mean, they they got screwed out of this, and they're doing their best, you know, and it's really not fair. And so maybe there's that that level of like you know uh, of trying to appease your your um, you know your cohorts basically across the, the league, but. I do think that that's, I don't know, it's definitely a concern and I'm I'm very concerned that there's just, there's going to be some stuff that's just out of their control, particularly when we get to like the holiday season and, um, you know, the possibility of interacting with more and more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the later season stuff really is the concern for me. What happens, let's, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Thanksgiving on basically. What happens as it's getting colder, you know, guys' immune systems aren't as good anyway. People are more likely to get sick. More people around them are more likely to get sick. And the risks are just amplified to a degree that we're not ready for yet because as a country, I think we've decided that we're done with coronavirus. Uh, I mean, hell, look at – we're going to have two games and at least two two major games in Florida this week with full stadiums. This is absolutely, utterly insane. I know we're talking about the NFL, but I'm sure we've both been watching some of these college football games and the way that they are being attended is to say it's cause for concern, I think is mm-hmm. a huge understatement. I mean, Texas A&M, you know, it, it's almost like they're hiding them because like in the bottom bowl, you know, they were very sparsely populated. But if you looked up top, it was almost every single seat, it seemed like was filling up that stadium in that top bowl. So it was almost like they were trying to delude the cameras into thinking that it was (laughs) less crowded than it actually was. But yeah, I mean, it's, there are major jurisdictional concerns here that I think that are going to play a major role in whether or not, you know, we're able to get through this. And, you know, it's specific to the NFL. I think that uh, like college, college certainly pushed it back and, you know, has such an abbreviated season and geographically, centrally located season the nfl is trying to do business as usual essentially logistically and it's just it doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem like they planned that very well yeah the uh, the eagles are among a group of teams that are just allowing people into the stadium for the first time this weekend but uh, that that number is going to be something like 7500 look at look at dallas you know, Dallas is at 20,000 people already. And like we're just we're not ready for this. Numbers are going up in most states. We're not going down. This is not getting under control. And you know, we have the concern, look what happened not to not to take this outside of sports, but look what happened with the Johnson and Johnson trials. Johnson and Johnson just yeah. paused their their uh, third stage trials because there was an un- unexplained illness in one of the people who took the test vaccine. We're yep. not as close as we think we are. Please just wear your stupid mask. I want to be done with this. I want to stop talking about this. I know. We want to, I swear, like every day I wake up and I'm just assuming another positive test will happen. Me too. Just for sports. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just like, it's crazy to me to hear announcers say like, oh, and these two teams will meet in week eight. It's like, how do you not, how do you say that with any level of confidence? I mean, I, I think at this point, it's almost like, assume you have to caveat it with assuming no one blows this you know and i mean it's it's just hard because it's like i do think that the teams and the players are doing a really good job given you know sort of the constraints of the matter but they're also just kind of screwed in this like they're, mm-hmm. they're up against the rules of the nfl and maybe that's why the nfl has been so hesitant to you know levy a big penalty against the titans because you know, who knows, like, if it was just one dude or whatever. And it's just so hard to know, like, like, should you really penalize the entire franchise for this? We don't know how it went down. And so it's just, 
it's really, really hard. And I, I, if anything, I feel like the blame has to be at the foot of the league for not trying to, you know, really for trying to accommodate to this illness. I think that like the brazenness with which they're dealing with this whole thing is crazy to me. And, and it, it goes circles back to just the crowds too. Like it, it just shows more and more cockiness in the face of, you know, a literal pandemic. <laughs> yes, a, a literal global pandemic. Um, you know, and there, it's it's just such a frustrating situation. And you talk about municipalities. That's an issue as well. Look what's going on with the Saints right now. The Saints have threatened to leave New Orleans uh, and play the rest of their 2020 home games in Baton Rouge if New Orleans mayor won't let them play. So they're literally just out there searching for people who are saying, hey, can we play with fans in your jurisdiction? Yeah. I'm in candidly like i can't really blame them because the nfl is not putting those constraints on the teams you know they basically were like goodell essentially said like listen if your mayor your governor says it's cool like we're cool with it too you know and i mean they are basically absolving themselves of all responsibility which i guess legally speaking might be the the you know the smart move but i think that like (laughs) just from like a morality standpoint and trying to you know control your league like it it doesn't make sense. It's hard for me to fault any team for saying like, listen, if, if we're at a competitive disadvantage and we want to play extra games, like I don't care if we go to, you know, Camp Randall instead of Lambeau or whatever, because right. we know we can get people in the stands. I mean, it's hard for me to really fault the teams for that. Well, and it's impossible to fault the teams on an individual basis because at the end of the day, like people forget the sports is a business. These teams yeah, exist exactly. to make money, not for mm-hmm. to provide us entertainment. That's nothing but a secondary effect. True. And if you can, if you don't have sta- fans in your stadiums, you don't have concessions, you don't have parking. You're not making money through ticket sales. You're not making money. And why should why should Dallas get to sell twenty thousand tickets when New Orleans doesn't get to sell any? It doesn't make sense, absolutely. and it's not fair. It's absolutely true. It's not like there's like this vast revenue sharing going on, right? It's not like I mean, it's. They've got this, they, as long as they're playing and they're on TV and candidly, like a team like the Titans, you know, this game, this Titans Bills game, that's going to be played tonight on, on Tuesday, that game would have been an afterthought at, at mm-hmm. noon on a normal Sunday central here. And, and, you know, like, I mean, now it's, it's front and center and guess what? Like if they don't have fans really for these games and which they, I know there are going to be some in Tennessee, which is insane to me uh-huh. in terms of tone deafness, given the context of the matter, but you know, like the fact that, you know, they get to be on like failing having fans. It's actually a good thing for a team like the Titans, because maybe it's another hundred Derrick Henry jerseys sold, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I guess, I guess Henry is, he he would be the most marketable player on that team. It's, uh, yeah, I don't don't think, I don't think the the Tannehill jerseys are hot sellers. Yeah, I, I, I'm not thinking Johnny Smith is like a bunch of jerseys. Maybe, maybe AJ Brown doing okay. I don't. Uh, Co- well, Corey Davis, but then you know <laughs> that didn't work out. So no. that's probably AJ Brown. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I guess my point is just like if you're not able to, you know, get people in the seats, at least get your your brand on TV as long as possible, as much as possible. So that's so like you know if if it happens to get delayed a little. Honestly, the Titans are probably thinking like, hey, this isn't the worst thing for us. NFL teams, listen up. You heard Anshikana say it here first. Thursday, you should be faking positives so that you can get moved <laughs> to Tuesday. It's not crazy. It's not the craziest thing I've said. 
All right, well, that was an interesting first segment. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Chris here, and the wait is finally over. Football is in full swing, and the MLB Championship Series are here as well. While you might not be lucky enough to be at a game this year, you can still be in on all of the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. You can also get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures right now. Head to Bet Online today to take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. This is a really fun week in the NFL. Week 6 is when teams start to separate themselves from the pack a little bit, and we're going to see that in a couple of cases here. You know, the Cleveland Browns versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, 4-1 and versus 4-0. and Who are the top dogs in that division if, you know, if it's not the Ravens? And then Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers taking on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, these are games worth watching. So if you want to get in on all of that action and oh so much more, visit our good friends and the exclusive partner at Podcast One, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Head over to betonline.ag and sign up for your free account. Once again, make sure you use that promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E, for your sign-up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Mr. Kana, we're back. Let's uh, let's talk about your White Sox. They are now skipperless. How do you feel about the the recent move? I'm stunned. I I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that Ricky Renteria ends up winning the um, you know the, the manager of the year, or certainly being in the top three. But similar to the way the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey after mm-hmm. his coach of the year campaign, I mean, I think that it's very clear to anyone who watches baseball that the writing's on the wall that this White Sox team is as desirable a job from a talent perspective as there is for the next five to seven years, probably. And, you know, and there are some big fish out there in AJ Hinch and Alex Cora and, you know, maybe Bruce Bochy is out there and, you know, maybe even Kevin Cash. And I think that the White Sox saw an opportunity much like the Cubs did some, what, 10 years, eight years ago with, um, with Renteria as well. It, you know, when Joe Madden came available that, you know, there's a different guy that can take the White Sox to the next level. And I truly believe that Renteria was not that guy for them. Yeah. Hinch was the guy that immediately came to mind for me. It's just a matter of, are we willing to forgive and forget already with him? Plus, you know, Alex Mm -hmm. Cora, another guy who comes to mind. And it's just, Mm -hmm. do you want to get away from that? Do you want to look at you want to look at somebody like uh, Joe Espada or, or, you know, I've seen Sandy Almar Jr.'s name come up. Yeah. Where where would you go if you were uh, in charge of this hire? I mean, I think that you have to vet the hinge possibility in terms of like what role did he play? And that, and that doesn't come from the media. You know, that comes from like knowing the people that were right. in that clubhouse. And the White Sox happen to have one of those guys in Dallas Keuchel, who I'm sure – is, uh, <laughs> it has some voice on this and immediately tweeted, by the way, after that, uh, you know, that there are going to be better days ahead for the White Sox after Renteria gets fired. So he obviously wasn't uh, wasn't too fond of Renteria. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there's I think you got to bet those guys that Espada almost got the Cubs job over David Ross last year. And I think that that's a guy that you have to look at, too, as well. And uh, the Rays bench coach, his name is in my mind at the off the top of my head i think it's matt cortaro uh he's another guy that's that's a uh, you know probably going to be talked to but i you know sandy alomar jr 
is a really interesting name to me for a variety of reasons. Number one is I know when the White Sox hired Renteria as their bench coach for Robin Ventura, they looked at Sandy Alomar and um, he didn't want to be the guy because it was so obvious that, you know, Robin Ventura was essentially a lame duck. And mm. that's exactly what ended up happening. And then secondly, you know, Alomar Jr. obviously bilingual, which is super important for this specific White Sox team since they have so many such a Cuban influence. And then third, like I thought that Alomar Jr. did a great job analytically in the playoffs, although the Indians do end up losing. Like I think that he did a great job and has a great feel for the game. Um, and I, th- I think that he would be a really, really good hire. Um, but, you know, I'm not not totally sure that's the direction. I, it seemed from Rick Hunt's press conference that they want to go. He was greasing the skids for a Hinch-like hire, it seems like. Let's talk about the the crazy name that I've seen multiple people, including, oh, including Bob Nightingale, mention. How would you feel about Tony Larusa being the next head coach of the Chicago White Sox? Oh man, that would be horrible. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I don't really, I can't believe that his name is even being thrown out there. But yeah, I mean Nightingale. I got to think that's kind of a favor to LaRusso a little bit, probably just, you know, toss his name. Does he need that favor? I mean, LaRusso coached 10 years ago. I know. I don't even, and he's a former White Sox manager too, who actually got fired by former uh, White Sox play-by-play announcer, Hawk Harrelson. But yeah, I think that that's, that's a guy who uh, you can miss me with that one. I like, they're going to go towards a younger analytically minded guy, I think. Um, and, and, you know, those names that we were up earlier are certainly checked those boxes. Would you say Hinch and Almar are the two favorites in your mind? Yeah, I think Cora is definitely in the conversation, but it seems like he may go back to Boston um, because they're, they're basically keeping all their assistance, which makes it sound like maybe once these suspensions are lifted right after the end of this World Series, like Cora could go back. But I think that, again, you talk about like a bilingual guy, it does matter, and uh, I wonder if the White Sox are thinking that way, too. Well, I'm glad you brought up coaching assistance because uh, jumping to another Chicago team, your Chicago Bulls fired all of their assistants, basically, on, under the new Billy Donovan staff. Do you care at all about who was let go and guys including, uh, let's uh, Roy Rogers, Rodney Dean Rogers, Cooper, Rogers. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Nate Lossner? Nah, I mean, I think that if anything, it's 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 good. Like, let Donovan run the show, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I do like the way the Bulls are cleaning house, and again, same ownership with Ryan Sorf on both these teams, and he's been historically very reticent to get rid of you know players that have been or coaches any really anyone involved in the organizations for those two teams um, without like a really good reason to do so, and I do think that um, you know letting the guys that are like the the sports people make mm-hmm. those decisions rather than letting play people hang around is I think is a, a good sign. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what kind of staff it sounds like Maurice Cheeks is at the top of Billy Donovan's list, which is a really nice assistant coach, I think to have For Maybe sure. not totally sold on him as a head coach, but he, I'm sure he'll get another chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like that as a, It'll be interesting to see what kind of style they want to play, but I like that as a as an assistant, just letting Donovan run the show. Yeah, no, Mo Cheeks is a that's a that's a great human being to have in your organization and a great guy to have as an assistant coach. I want nothing to do with him as a head coach, but <laughs> but uh, certainly a great assistant to have. You know, there's been a lot of weird coaching stuff this off season. It it seemed like D'Antoni was going to get the Sixers job, and then mm-hmm. Doc Rivers comes available and he gets do it. You think- and, 
God. Do you think they were going to hire D'Antoni? Hundred percent. Rivers, not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hundred percent. Uh, and that it changes it, just like that. By all accounts, uh, D'Antoni turned down interviews and uh, interviews and opportunities with the Pacers because the Philadelphia job was open and more appealing to him. And then Doc gets fired and D'Antoni's on the outs, although they said they were the last two candidates. I don't think there was even a chance that it wasn't going to be Doc when he got fired. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, that Pacers job is still there. The Rockets job seems like it's going to be Ty Lue, although randomly they're talking about John Lucas. Talk about uh, a Tony La Russa-esque guy who hasn't coached in like 18 years or something like that. Some dumb. I was going to say, are we sure it's not John Lucas the third? Like yeah, it would, it would make more sense. I remember, yeah. I remember Lucas being a bad coach for Philadelphia in like the Clarence Weatherspoon era. Like this is, <laughs> this is not the modern day NBA coach. I know his story is great as a he's he's a, a great person. He's done a lot for a lot of guys with substance abuse issues, but that doesn't mean he should be running an NBA team in 2021. Um, it's just a lot of weird basketball coaching stuff jason kidd is apparently becoming the favorite for the pelicans job from what i'm hearing good luck to the pelicans and i believe not like that given the players they have no no i'm absolutely oh i mean the only the only argument i would make for jason kidd is that that Giannis was fiercely loyal to him and yeah there's something to be said about that I agree with that, but he, you know, Giannis is kind of cut out of the Jimmy Butler mold or vice versa in terms of like one of those just like tireless worker types. I, mm. I mean, I don't think Jason Kidd is a good fit for that team. When you think of like the way that in my mind you want to be running and, you know, and really appealing to like a young sort of free spirited team in my mind, I feel like that's kind of like where they're leading. to. I think Ty Lue would actually be a pretty interesting higher for them specifically but yeah jason kidd uh, i don't like that where would you go if not Ty Lue? because it does look like Ty Lue is uh the rockets favorite right now yeah yeah i i mean how I don't really would, know. how would mda look in new orleans that would be that's exactly what i was gonna say is i think that he would let them really run with it i wonder if the idea is just like let's get these young guys in good habits and then as soon as you know, the, the as always, the clock runs out on the Jason Kidd, Tom Thibodeau types. Then you go to like a D'Antoni and let him basically, you know, win or get you as far as you could possibly go. I wonder if that's sort of their mindset. But I, I, I mean, ideally, you just get like a younger guy that's got that same sort of philosophy in my mind. Yeah, I, I don't know how excited Zion would be about MDA because no, there's like a, a condition. Th- th- well, yes, that that's a giant issue, but. There's also about a hundred and nine percent chance that he would be the team's starting center, and I don't know yeah. if, if that's something he really wants to do. Uh, but guys like Lonzo Ball, I mean, you know, JJ Redick in in that offense would be fun. Brandon Ingram in that offense would be a lot of fun, and yeah. potentially solve some of the problems that the Pelicans had trying to get Ingram and Zion to mesh because they never quite came together at any point during the season. It seemed like each guy excelled when the other guy was out. Yeah, agreed. And I think that, you know, like if you play traditional, you know, half court basketball, which is when I think of Jason Kidd, that's kind of what I think of. And, and, you know, as a coach, at least. And like, I I mean, that's to me, that's not what that team should look like. They should be bouncing up and down the floor. And maybe Zion is your, you know, quote unquote center, but really he's just your, you know, your rim running big that can also shoot a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's how that team should be built. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Jason Kidd's changed his philosophy a bit, but at least what I can remember from him in Milwaukee, it's, 
it was much more of a plotting pace, which was not ideal for that team. The scenario that feels like it would have made sense to me with Jason Kidd is if this was a couple of years ago and Lonzo was still held in a little bit higher regard than he is right now. Because if Mm. you bring in a guy like Jason Kidd and you say, hey, look what I did. This is what you can become for Lonzo Ball. That that's interesting because you can see those parallels Mm -hmm. between those two players. But I don't you know, I'm not even sure that Lonzo is going to be on that team next year. So you're certainly not making decisions based around him. No, no, agreed. You're you're making decisions based on exactly what you brought up, which is like, how do we get Zion and Ingram to play together? And if not, what can we get for Ingram to make it work for whatever scheme we're going to have going forward? And I just, you know, like, I, I just, I don't know. Do you get the same sense of kid? Like, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's super willing to acquiesce to the, the talent that he is no. dealt, essentially. Yeah. No, sir. No, sir. He's got a plan, and that's going to be what the offense is, regardless of how well it happens to fit. And, you know, there, ah, oh, man, I'll tell you what, is with Zion playing the small ball five, Ingram is the four. And by the way, he's not even that small of a four. So, you know, it's not going to be Houston Rockets-esque lineups where P.J. Tucker at 6'4 is playing center. At least right. you get at least you get Zion at six six who's playing center. You have a six nine power forward in Brandon Ingram. That offense <laughs> could score a lot of points. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there's like, yeah, I, why not? Uh, who's the Golden State assistant? Is it Gentry or? Uh, well, Gentry just Gentry just he was. We thought he was coming to Philadelphia, but he just went to join yep. Luke Walton in Sacramento. Oh, interesting. The, okay. the yeah. King. Let's see who this, the the Warriors coaching staff is. I, I'm always a little bit apprehensive about pulling people from that Warriors staff just because, like, <laughs> I, like I'm pretty sure, and I, I genuinely mean this, I think I could have won a championship at coaching the Warriors with a couple of those rosters they had. Well, just look at, I mean, Luke Walton is the proof, obviously, right? Yeah. Like, he was undefeated as their coach. I Granted, that was their prime, but undefeated there, and then he goes to the Lakers, he goes to the Kings, it's, you know, it's a mess. Uh, the assistants right now, Mike Brown's the head assistant. Mike Brown, yeah. I, haven't we done the Mike Brown thing? Enough yeah, we have. <laughs> but I, I do think that, like, you know, if you're giving me the choice between Kid and Brown, I'm probably going with Mike Brown, though, At least, especially if he's learned anything from, you know, being on Steve Kerr's staff. Uh, at that point, like, I know what you're going to get from Mike Brown. You're hot. I'm not a big fan yeah. of hiring guys with who have shelf lives. So you're hiring this guy mm. to fire him in a year and three quarters. Well, that's quarters. what Kid is too, isn't he? I, yeah, mean, I don't know. I, I think kids, Kid is less proven as a bad coach than Mike Brown is at this point. <laughs> yeah, or maybe not bad, but just you Fine. know what you're getting, not a value add. Yeah, yeah. I agree. A mediocre run-of-the-mill this... coach. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the Nuggets... Um, Oh, God, what's his uh, – Wes Unsell Jr. is oh, a very high – great player. hire. I yeah. think that would be an interest. Like, why not try – you know, the double you know versus the one you don't? Like, you might as well go with the one you don't and that has been around winning organizations and especially ascending winning organizations. I, I mean, that would be my move personally. Well, if you want to go to the Warriors, let's let's see what Jaron Collins has. He's been on that staff yeah. for a couple of years. He's been an important assistant on that team. Let's mm-hmm. let's see what Jaron Collins brings as a coach. He's been on that Warrior staff since 2014. Wow. Yeah, that's much better than regurgitating the corpse of Mike, Mike Brown. Brown. Exactly. Yeah. Like Yeah, yeah. You're you're basically negotiating Mike Brown's severance package when you hire him. <laughs> Like, let's just get this out out of the table right now. It's just funny that you say that, but like that's exactly what I think of Jason Kidd as mm-hmm. being. So 
I feel like kids had not quite as bad. Yeah. Look, I think the moral of this story is that I don't want anyone, uh, either one of those two people, anywhere near my organization. Um, Let's talk real quick about your organization before we get out of this episode. Fourth pick in the draft. We're just about a month away. Where's your head at right now? I I mean, I really think that a trade could happen because it seems like, yeah, a month away is crazy to me, but it's also Mm -hmm. five months after where the draft was supposed to be. Yes, it is. So, like, you know, they've had a lot of time to evaluate all these guys, even with the changes and with the wild pandemic stuff and whatever. I mean, they really had a full season to evaluate all of them. And to me, like – you know, I know that Killian A's stock is all over the place, but I'm a fan of his. Um, I think that Halliburton is is pretty interesting, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction they end up going. Is that a trade um, back but, though, or at four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would be a trade back. Hayes, I'm guessing you you could you probably have to take him at four, although we've seen some of his stock lowered. I think mm-hmm. recently, what I've seen, but you know, obviously. You, wouldn't be surprised at all if Denny Avdia goes goes at four because of Carson Elvis's um, you know experience with international scouting. So I think that those are probably the three guys I'm sort of honing in on. And then obviously if one of those top three guys falls, they become pretty interesting. Although I'm not sure what Wiseman's fit is on this particular team. If if you're the Bulls, would you think in a trade scenario they're looking to go up or back? I, I truly do think that, like, you can basically get a trade up for like set sixty cents on the dollar compared for sure. to other seasons, and they're in a really good spot where like a team, maybe not the Warriors, but like say the Timberwolves are like, you know, we'll just take four and let's just call it like a future top five protected first, and you know, like I and I maybe, think you're, I you think know, they're and, overpaying. <laughs> Really? You think so? Like that's a future top person five? For... Because, uh, if you're saying like top lo- like lottery protected or something like that, okay, fine. Mm. But I think top five. Which... Like, I, I will. I might trade the first pick in this draft for the seventh pick next year. Wow, that's wild. Um, but I don't necessarily disagree because like there's just so such little information this year. Not from like like I said, there we did have basically a full season, but. First of all, the names at the top didn't all play a full season no. at the college level, and then and almost none of them did really. And then you know, and then secondly, we haven't had a classic combine. You know, there's just a lot of balls in the air from that perspective. So I mean, I would, if I'm the Bulls, I would have my sights set on Lamelo Ball and just trying to get up to one. And if it's you know lottery protected, great, we're got we're golden. But if it's and even if it's, I don't even know if there's a guy on their roster that they're really trying to shed or whatever. But, you know, from a Timberwolves perspective, I don't know that there's like a super clean fit for their roster. So um, if they're not sold on the mellow ball, that's that's what I would do. I wonder if Markinen's the best fit in Minnesota next to D'Angelo and Kat. Mm. That would be. I think that's. Yeah, an, I, mean, I think it's an overpay to give up Markinen to go from four to one. Agreed. But, but I, th- mm-hmm. I think he's probably the cleanest fit. Yeah, I don't. Th- this is an interesting draft, only in that I don't really know who's going to go anywhere. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that the first pick is going to be Lamelo. In my mind, I, I really do think it's going to be Lamelo. Oh God, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's tough. Um, I am 44 percent sure that Lamelo Ball is the first pick in the draft. <laughs> 
Like if if yeah. we're if we're looking at the pie chart, I think there's a 44% mm-hmm. chance it's Lamelo, and then a 54% chance it's the field. Uh, but yeah, thank you. And, um, <laughs> a lot of people don't know this. Two percent chance to wait that the draft doesn't happen. I got you. A lot of people don't know this, but my pie charts are only 98%, not 100. <laughs> I, who am I to, to think I know 100% of anything? But. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Thank you for correcting my math because obviously that was not correct. <laughs> um, I, I just I have no feel about this. I I think that there's if we're talking about like weird percentage chances, I think there's like a twenty five to thirty percent chance the Warriors take Devin Vassell at number two. Oh my god! I just I have no feel for what is going to happen. That and that makes it fun and also you know also kind of uh, kind of frustrating. Kind I know, frustrating and terrifying too. Well, it, so Lamelo would be your dream for the Bulls' first round pick, right? Oh yeah. Okay. No, no question. For me, a hundred percent. Like I'm very, very locked into my first two picks, and obviously it's a lot tougher to predict who's going to go twenty-one and thirty-four than it is for uh, Tyrell yeah. Terry is a well above anybody else is my pick at twenty-one, and oh, I- nice. I- Isaiah Joe is well above anybody else at my pick at thirty-four. So well, I just want shooting, 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 please. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't blame you. I, but I think that it's interesting to look at this draft. The more I've read about it, the more I'm realizing, like, this this is a pretty, like, because of how chaotic it is, there's the opportunity for a lot of, like, decent role-playing Definitely. types deep into the middle of the second round, even, maybe even through the end of the second round and undrafted. Like, I mean, I think that there are guys that – Maybe even won't maybe won't get drafted. That might be useful pieces that we'll see in summer league, you know, or whatever season league it is next year. Yeah. So I mean, I think that there's that's a it's a great thought to like bring to the draft because I I think that you know there's just there's so much uncertainty and I, I like I truly think this is going to be more like a major league baseball situation where you'll have you know teams just honed in on specific players and not necessarily like you know, tiers of players like we've seen in the past that we're usually accustomed to with the NFL and NBA drafts. I agree. I also think it's going to be the most unpredictable draft we've seen in a while in terms of like, oh my God, that guy went 17? Like, yeah. wow. Uh, like Paul Reed, we went, Paul Reed went 14? <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, it, again, yeah, I think that teams are, you know, they're so restricted in who they can bring in to work out and especially work out against other players, which right. has helped flush out a lot of, decisions in the past and uh, you know they just we don't no one has that info and i mean i read like you know you read different mock drafts of of you know true industry experts and even they are like man we have no freaking clue <laughs> which is you know the way that we get a lot of our information because i know i don't know about you but like you know if i see a name going higher i'm like you know you're obviously your curiosity is peaks but right now the draft like the mocks are kind of plateauing because there's mm-hmm. just they're not like it's we saw this in the nfl too because there weren't you know school campus workouts you know you didn't have reporters able to talk you know getting hammered with their with these decision makers and understanding a little bit more about where players relative stocks are and i think that that's why you're just seeing like basically the guys that are supposed to talk to experts rather than be experts are mm. just sort of, they're not able, like stocks aren't moving around because they're not able to like, to, to talk to people. And so they're making their own calls on talent. And I, I don't know that they're, you know, in a position to do that. You absolutely nailed it by saying there's going to be players to be found with, through this whole draft. I'm just looking at Tankathon right now. Like I'm looking at the second round and, 
you know, I see Xavier Tillman at 40, Reggie Perry at 41, Paul Reed at 42, Jordan Nawara at 43, Skylar Mays at 44, Grant Ryler at 45, uh, Malachi Flynn at 48, Elijah Hughes at 49, Emmanuel Quickly at at 50, Isaiah Joe at 51, Peyton Pritchard at 53, Sam Merrill at 55. I would bet, like, the average... Uh, the average career from those guys I just mentioned is like six, seven years in the NBA. Yeah, you're you're I mean, gonna there's gonna be pieces to be found. Totally, I, every one of those guys that you brought up right there, I think are are use potential. Like you can definitely see them as potentially useful players, and maybe a lot more. It's just really hard, and I think that the you know these decision makers, this is a great year for them to be tested. You know, in certain ways, and I think. You know, for, for me as a Bulls fan, I think it's it's an awesome opportunity to see what Carson Ovis, you know, can do because you're in a, an awkward spot at number four, to say the least. And mm-hmm. I think that those, you know, there there's just, I, I totally agree with you, like Devin Vassell or, you know, Okungwu, whatever, one of these guys could jump way, way up and you, you know, it. Well, you'll be surprised, but you won't be shocked because that's just the context of this draft. Oh, yeah. No, at the end of the day, the best player from this draft, it's not going to be... I would bet you it's not a guy taken in the top three. Agreed. This is going to be like the Giannis draft where some high-talent player that's, you know, in the right system and develops physically and, you know, is in the, with the right coaching is going to end up being the best player. Yeah, like, it wouldn't shock me if it was Avdia. It wouldn't shock me if it was Ngakwu. It wouldn't shock me, you know, even if it was, like, if Obi Toppin was the best player in a bad class, if it was Halliburton, if it was Patrick Williams. This yeah. is, like, it's yeah. it's, it's it's weird. I wonder to, if, go ahead. Sorry, I mean, you're right, but just to capitalize on your point, I wonder if, like, this the certainty of a player like Toppin becomes much more attractive in a draft like this, you know, mm-hmm. where you feel like you know what you're getting. Well, and he's another guy I wouldn't be shocked if he was that second pick to Golden State because you can just see him mm-hmm. put in that offense immediately and contribute. Oh, yeah. Like, he is just going to be a double-double machine if he's on the right team, for well, sure. Well, triple-double yeah. in points allowed against him. <laughs> That's also very true. All right, that's it for this episode of The Underdog. We'll be back later this week for our NFL Picks show. Until then, I'm Chris Hordell. He's on Chicana. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.